Hi everybody, this is Trish Rubin. Welcome to the Blur and Blend Marketing Podcast, the B&B, where I talk to unique industry professionals about business and education, those worlds that I mix together in the fog. I try to find people who have moved beyond the status quo in search of innovation. And these are people who haven't chosen a straight path to their success. And today my guest is Annalie Killian. Welcome to the BNB, Annalie. Hi, Trish. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's always great to be here at Sparks and Honey. This is where we're doing our podcast. And some of the people who are listening, I know, have been here and can just close their eyes and see the energy and the wonder of this place. Uh, so let me give you the quick version of why Annalie is in my network. Uh, she is the VP of Strategic Partnerships here at Sparks and Honey, but she was not always that. Luckily for me, that's how I met her. I came with a group of students several years ago, and I think, Annalie, it was your first week of working here. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of, I don't know, professional love at first sight. She was so opening and welcoming, and here she is new in her position and opened some, quickly opened some doors to her thinking with me, uh, inspired me as I inspired my students, and so uh, has always been someone who's a great touchstone for me in terms of my own thinking and network building, and then somebody who actually can open door after door to me to new ideas. So that's why Annalie is here today, so she can do the same thing for you. So that's what I'm going to ask you about first, Annalie. Can you tell our listeners about yourself and and how you've embraced this uh, idea that I'm trying to promote of the fog of ambiguity and how you've moved through it so nicely to be sitting here at the table with me today in July? Um, I think uh, the a lot of these things happen unconsciously initially. You know, it's easy to look back and then apply hindsight and say, you know, um, this was the path. But the path was really unintended at the time and certainly if I had to construct a path today I would be much more deliberate about it but I'm not um, unhappy about the way it sort of unfolded but I guess um, what is really important to my journey was the fact that I moved around a lot, I traveled a lot, I had an insatiable curiosity as a child which was um, combined with the travel lust. I persuaded my mother at the age of I think six or seven that um, I had to go away with my aunt and um, fly back um, to be home for Christmas because my mom insisted on that and so it was very unusual for people in the 60s to have kids that fly yes. and fly by themselves so for I think throughout my entire school career I was one of the only few people in the school had, that had actually been in an airplane and flown. Um, so that was at six my first experience wow. um, and you know being on your own you have to navigate all of that ambiguity. And then I moved, um, I moved house often and um, I then moved countries. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I have now lived on four continents wow. and each, each time you know, huge adaptation, um, but it's made easier by the fact that, you know, you, you 
once you start to travel a lot, you know, it just becomes a lot easier to literally go into the um, unknown. The scariest was like moving to China at a time when, you know, I was going to study Mandarin there. And the first time I went to China, the there was very, very little um, English spoken. And it was really challenging to literally not recognize anything, no street names or anything like that. And so... Disorienting. Uh, well, it was fascinating and for fascinating, me as well. Yes. Because <laughs> I had scary. to very, very much figure out how to get around. Yeah, and um, so I resorted to drawing. <laughs> I drew when I couldn't figure something <laughs> out or couldn't make myself known no, to somebody. Um, I sketched what I was trying to do and, um, you know, through hand gestures and <laughs> the other people sketching, you know, I got I got it on. I, I went to some outback town in, you know, the middle of um, China. It was called Zhangjiajie, which um, was about two and a half hours flight west of Shanghai. And... When I got there, I never saw another Westerner in, you know, five or six days, not one. Wow. And there was no English spoken. Um, and so that was uh, very, uh, it was a fun time. I really yeah. enjoyed that. So the uh, the long and the short of the story is um, I, I learned to navigate ambiguity mm-hmm. very much through... Um, travel uh, that was my vehicle and not being in the middle of the road being on the edges of of that road and yes. I know here at Sparks and Honey they, there's the talk of the edge dweller yes and so that's what you were exhibiting yes I, I think so I am um, sometimes I you know like curiosity I think can be um, nurtured uh, when you're young um, and we've just come out of a briefing where we talked about you know, the future trends of children's toys. Yes. And um, I think that toys are useful, you know, in some way, but I think it'd be very important to understand also how you nurture curiosity because sometimes it's more important to break open the toy and see how it's put together yes. <laughs> rather than play with a completed thing because it's that, it's that curiosity that makes the kids want to open the toy up to see how it works and often they punished for that why did you just break your toy well that's actually something to be nurtured and sort of say okay now let's put this back together and see can we make it better can we make it whole you know all of those things so you've been nurturing curiosity throughout your life it seems then and having that as something uh that in addition to what I remember you wrote for me in the last book, the ability uh, that I think you, you, you said to say yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Always. Saying yes, yes. is a, saying yes is a great gift um, to so yourself. Even in, the, even in the, that unsettled time where you might be having doubts or others are questioning you. Yeah. Um, actually, yes. there's a... There's there's a piece of work that I would uh, recommend to anybody that is interested in getting comfortable with um, ambiguity. And, 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 and it is a skill that we will increasingly need in the future because of the accelerating pace of change yes. and the complexity. Uh, so I do encourage people to literally go and study 
you know, how do you navigate ambiguity? And the, the, the piece of work that I read was around um, creative emergence. So creative emergence is literally how change happens in large systems. So large systems are dynamic and things are always going on, but we, we don't always see all of this complexity going on. And so uh, if you think of an ecosystem, let's say an ecosystem in nature, you know, uh, let's say there's global warming happening in the ecosystem. Well, at the same time that global warming is happening and there is a level of destruction going on, there will also be a level of creative emergence, which is about survival. So the system uh, orientates itself to survive by literally adaptation. And so creative emergence is often um, under the radar. It's the edge. It's where you, it's what you don't see. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And so when you bring that mindset of understanding how ecosystems adapt and survive um, to, you know, your work in business, um, you understand the relationship between innovation and survival, really. Mm. Um, Joseph Schumpeter wrote a lot about the creative destruction, the, the seeds of um, its own destruction is actually held in every innovation because over time everything becomes replaced yes. in order for the system to continue. And I, so it's creative immersion, is that the? the uh, yeah, it's creative emergence. Emergence. Yes, yeah, it's, a, it's about how things emerge. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes. And, and I'll. Uh, I'll make sure that's in the show notes, especially for people who are curious about using that organizationally and my students who want to know more about that. Yeah, I have a couple of articles that, you know, I have saved over the years that I'm happy to share with you. So your know, creative emergence is a good area to kind of read up on a little bit. And the other one would also be the the value of weak ties. Um, what does that mean? So weak ties is... Um, the opposite of strong ties. Mm -hmm. Strong ties are where you have um, close relationships and, um, you know, it would be your immediate family, your colleagues and those sorts of people represent strong ties. And some people are mostly comfortable operating within the network where they have strong ties. But strong ties does not expose you to the creative emergence happening at the edge. It comes from the weak ties. It's the most unlikely person. It's the person you bump into by accident or it's cultivating a network that goes way beyond your strong ties. And uh, for example, um, if you're working in the financial services industry like I did for many years, uh, I thought, well, there's no point for me trying to be innovative around um, the financial solutions that everybody else in the financial services industry is already working yes. on because I didn't come from a typical banking or, you know, actuarial background. So people in my industry with strong ties would always be much better at those things than I was going to be. What I was much better at than them was the weak ties. I was able to see the things that they couldn't see because they were so 
obsessed and closely focused on the things in front of them that they knew and were familiar with mm. that I was the one looking at what is happening at the edge and then tying that together with how that may in fact disrupt the status quo um, and for example you know the rise of you know the digital revolution meant that consumers yes. wanted to help themselves today the role of the financial planner is one of the most you know disruptive professions because people are now much more able to help themselves um, and uh, use technology to arrive at you know some basic and simple solutions that uh, they previously had to rely on other people to do. Well, those are great examples and I as you're talking to me I'm thinking about again we we saw a really fine briefing this morning on on toys and play and part of that briefing it touched in these ways of everyone in that room trying to think about oh, I'm seeing this right now in the short term but over and over again there was that looking out into the distance yeah. and not knowing what's really out there we can only speculate I heard um, was it Jake talk about you know well we won't know this for another 10 years because of what we have to study now and talking about AI talking about so many different things that are out there but when I hear you talk it's just that sense of saying okay go, go to those edges and is it learn as much as you can yeah and also curate a network that is beyond your um, you know your normal posse okay. so curate a network of people from different disciplines of people from different cultures um, um, you know different industries uh, and, that, and weak ties or those your weak ties those are the weak ties great, you know great. because um, they are the kind of people that lead you to discovery on this topic of um, creativity and um, you know navigating the the fog I'm always reminded of a quote by Steve Jobs which he said that creativity is really just a matter of connecting the dots now therefore it follows that the more dots you have access to the more creative you can be yeah. so you know it's kind of a interesting formula is like how many dots are in your life um, mm. and in your existence mm. so you and know if you're a parent them, collect, connecting them. Uh, collect them and connect them oh. yes I mean those you know you have to practice the connecting too yeah. um, if you don't you know think about the dots in a way that is generative you may not be able to see that they connect to other things but Really, I think that's one of the most important gifts that um, parents can give their children is, you know, many, 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 many experiences because the more experiences that you have within your frame of reference to draw upon, yes. um, the better your ability to navigate ambiguity because you'll be able to spot patterns or, you know, when something unfamiliar arrives, mm -hmm. you'll be able to say now, where have I seen something like this before or mm -hmm. it reminds me of or you might have a mental model or a template that you could apply and, and then something you said today too I think I'd like to talk to you about is 
in the briefing you mentioned the word empathy. Mm -hmm. And as we think about building these um, weaker ties, because in your strong ties, that that's there, already there. You're in a family, you know people, you've got that going. And then at the same time, if you don't break out of that, you're not going to see yourself as creative as possible. But how, it, in different cultures, we're dealing with different people in these weak ties, is that important also to, to show empathy? Will that help somebody to be better at connecting, do you think? Well, I think that the very fact that you cultivate weak ties will um, expand your ability to be empathetic because you are deliberately um, putting yourself outside of your comfort zone or seeking difference. And the more we are exposed to these situations that are different, you know, the more we will be able to um, put ourselves in, in another person's shoes. Right. Um, I think the there is something really interesting about empathy that uh, Sherry Turkle writes about in her book um, Return to Conversation mm -hmm. and this is being borne out by a lot of um, current research is that the uh, decline of reading books and particularly books in hardcover and long form um, and and you know fiction uh, storybooks yes. This is also correlated to a decline in empathy and apparently it it translates in a very different way if you read something on a screen to whether you're actually um, holding a tactile object. Uh, the idea is that when you read as opposed to watching a movie, the part of your brain that is activated to imagine the scenario um, also high, uh, lights up the emotional um, intelligence capabilities and these kind of neurons. Mm -hmm. So uh, it kind of makes sense to me that just being able to conjure through words on a page must practice an imagination muscle and must and the more you the more widely you can read also you know the the better your um, ability to then understand different people different cultures different scenarios um, different sets of emotional problems that people encounter and you know develop your social skills yeah I'm also thinking I'm so glad we were in the briefing together because uh, we were talking a bit about um, the strong tie of the grandparents and things like that, but you had mentioned listening uh, to a particular radio program, and, and I really related to that too, um, the listening that, that, we, that we do with... Um, The listening that we do um, with uh, in those places of strong ties and how that that kind of forms you. So I think listening and is such an important part of of this idea of of navigating through the fog. Like it's not just what you see out there. You know, I, I feel that's why podcasts seem to be 
to me almost harkens back to listening to the radio or being with what I don't, what my parents did and your parents did, sit and listen to a radio together as families, talk about strong ties, you are, you know, touched with that. So I think part of what I like about you too is that you really, you listen well. Mm-hmm. And that, how's that served you as you've navigated? Because you've got the empathy, you've talked about that piece and the curiosity, but how'd you become such a good listener? I think that, um, um, look, firstly, I don't know how I became a good listener. Uh, I think I probably practiced it a lot more when I was an adult and particularly as a leader. Um, However, I did become aware at a very young age in school that my ability to recall something was um, tied to my auditory senses. So when I was preparing for exams and things like that, I would um, always read my materials out loud rather than study quietly. I I also rewrote it because the ability, you know, the the fact that you're actually going through the motions of writing something and from recall, it kind of embeds it. But, uh, I mean, I I believe really that... um, we have many many senses and the more that we actually invest in using all of them uh, we will improve our ability to observe retain and learn and particularly embed learning i also found that the lectures that i attended where i was in class and paid full attention to what was being said and actually actively engaged my mind and and made an effort to ask questions of the lecturer. The recall and the embedded learning was far superior than lectures that I missed mm-hmm. and then just got the notes. Um, so the, le- the, the auditory input is kind of really important. Now the funny thing is, um, and I shouldn't be saying this on your podcast, is that I actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. simply because I don't like to put things in my ears. I'd be very happy to listen yes. to them out loud in a way that allows me to do other things. So if I listen to podcasts, I usually listen to them you know, via my computer and yes. they play out loud. I don't actually put things in my ears. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. know that for a lot of people, there's a great way to, in fact, listen and enjoy content while yeah. they're working out, or they're yeah, multitasking, commuting, right. multitasking. Yeah. Um, for me, it's just, I feel like I'm blocking one of my <laughs> senses <laughs> if I've got things in my ears. So I listen I to it out loud, that. and I can still do other things, so it doesn't, in, it doesn't prevent me from you know, being still mm-hmm. connected to uh, the, the, the natural world where sounds are happening. Yeah, and I think because you're a good listener and in your position here, but when you're brokering partnerships and building relationships, that is so appreciated by people that, that, that you are listening, leaning into that and knowing about them and knowing that idea that you said of connecting the dots. It, it just makes such a great for me a great package and I haven't thought about you in that way of going from that curiosity and then the idea of these um, ties, identifying ties, empathy, listening. Uh, I think 
in terms of creating innovation and being created, it's just such a, a rich mix that you're sharing with us. So, so I'm well, I want to add one. I want to add one other thing, Please. which is something that I referenced in the TED talk that I did in 2011, mm -hmm. um, that I feel very strongly about, and coming back again to the uh, culture briefing that we did at Sparks and Honey today about raising kids and toys, is yeah. that I. I think that your ability to create um, has a lot to do with practicing in ambiguity, which is about making things. So I touched a little bit about, you know, maybe the most important part of the toy is the fact that the kid takes it apart. Um, and so this is really about the tactile sense mm. of interacting yeah. with things. And yeah. so me, for many of us, we actually learn by doing. and. Even in adult leadership roles, you know, you, you can go to university, you can go to business school, but until you're actually thrown in the deep end of having to manage a project or having to lead a team of people, you, you really can't um, fully learn until you're doing it and making mistakes. And, you know, there's that feedback of mistakes that help us to solve problems and um, so I, I want to add, you know, tactile um, experiences at a young age mm -hmm. is kind of super important in terms of building your confidence. Yes. Um, my best advice is um, to, you know, make new recipes, do, do things that you've not done before, uh, you know, throw a dinner party and make everything from scratch or try recipes that you've never done before and like live dangerously <laughs> you know or or build something um, uh, that's really really important to um, practice ambiguity because sometimes when you're in that moment you've got to just push through it for me a nightmare was learning to sew um, and realizing how many things in sewing is so difficult um, t unless you have seen it before you kind of try and follow the instructions yes. and it doesn't kind of work out like and you can't get your head around it another great example is origami mm. oh my word uh, the first time I had to make a crane there's a step in making a crane where you literally have to think in like 4d <laughs> to be able to grasp what do you need to do next <laughs> and it took me three goes um, even with instructions to be able to push through that step I mean once I got there it was yes. fine but you know fold things make things do shapes <laughs> I love it. I'm into paper too. I'm doing some some things now when I'm even in front of large groups and uh, the first thing I have them do is to create what I'm calling a, a brand catcher and it, you have to fold something and my students use it too so if my students are listening they know how I've helped them do it and, and I always hold it up first and I say to my students this is paper. Do you remember what that that is paper? And they just smile because those are the ones the kids are always in the screen as we talked about today. So I think tactile is really important as well. Well, paper paper is a fantastic example of um, a medium that can be turned and transformed into anything through imagination, yeah. through the written word. It can be t it can take us to any journey to any place on the planet. And then literally through applying our imagination by, you know, um, taking a piece of paper and folding it in a certain way, 
I don't know how many forms of origami shapes there are. You know, it's 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 um, it's infinite. And what is so dramatically interesting is that the people that were working at the edge of genetic engineering um, went to origami uh, artists to practice um, how mm. DNA folds by literally oh. combining origami and the folding of of genes. So, I mean, that's a, an, an amazing insight and another example of weak ties. Yes, and a great example of blurring and blending that it just mm. ties into what we've been talking about. So, um, and how perfectly you got to that point. So <laughs> <laughs> I know that we're both looking at busy days, and um, so we'll be closing. And uh, I will put in the show notes uh, some of those pieces that we've talked about. Uh, we've referenced a couple of people. So I will I'll send you a couple of papers that you can actually that attach. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great yeah. for my students. The, the one of the, the papers is called "The Strength of Weak Ties." Oh, great! Yeah, great. So I'll be able to use that. So if you're a student in France and you're hearing this in a month, you'll know exactly where it's coming from. It's coming from Annalise's podcast, The the Strength of Weak Ties. Love it. But thank you so much. And uh, we can also put your your details in at Maverick Woman, which I love that (laughs) that you have on Twitter. And... um, You'll give me up. I'll just take your details and we'll share that there. Of You're course. on LinkedIn, of course. Yes. You may find that people will be following you that will want to know more about you because you spent time with me. So thank you so much. Thank you and good luck. And uh, always lovely to have you and your students at Sparks and Honey. And uh, all of those are weak ties that add to the collage of the richness of our lives. Oh. So thank you very much. Thank you, Annalie.